0: Plushcare.com/slash/weight-loss.
1: A, a, a grain of rice, a, a, a grain of rice you want to tip the scale. Just remember that. Then. there's a small bit of a needle there. Now,
0: come on, Mayo, you're going to get Andy Moran into the game. Our mission was to show that
1: the we're no longer the no whipping.
0: When we started uh, these Examiner Sport podcasts, the experts and uh, people certainly we, we were listening to and should have listened to told us, don't go longer than 35 or 40 minutes with any of these podcasts because people will switch off. And you know what? They've been proved dead wrong. We've actually, we, we did a couple of lengthy podcasts. The first one was a sit-down with the former Cork GA legend Larry Tompkins. It didn't start off as an extended sit-down. It didn't start off as an extended one-hour-plus interview. It just turned into a great conversation. And we have continued, and we are going to do a series of those. The second of them was before Christmas with the late... Now, sadly, departed Garrett Fitzgerald, the chief executive of Munster Rugby. The third in the series is with a man whose name has been in the headlines quite a bit in the last couple of weeks, Declan McBennett, who was the head of sport with RTE and is charged with the responsibility of RTE's entire sports output. He's been in the news, obviously, because Joe Brawley has had his say in terms of the fact that his contract wasn't extended, but we spoke to Declan about a lot more than Joe Broly. We spoke about everything from television rights to women in sport to female punditry to what makes a good pundit and, in fact, what makes good sports television. Enjoy the listen. Declan McBennett. Sorry, I'm eating a vijaffa cake in my mouth. Um, you, both of us, actually came into sport um, from a news background. I was kind of doing politics and health. You were in the north for a long time. Some people might see that as a hindrance. I would see it as a huge advantage in your job in terms of the perspective that you bring to being head of sport. Give me a sense of where you are on that.
1: Um, It's interesting because I'm 20 years in RTE... Uh, heading for 21 and 15 of those were in news and five uh, coming up on six now have been in sport so again people who work in rte will have different perceptions my perception of rte because of my background has always been that it's about news sport and national events it's essentially national moments now the national moment could have been and i worked on the general election a couple of weeks ago because it's an all-encompassing project in rte so um it's about news, sport and national events. So whatever those national events are, be they a general election or be they Storm Ophelia or be it the All-Ireland Final or Dublin Five in a Row or uh, Ireland playing the All Blacks or the Olympic Hockey Qualifiers, there's a huge sense there that for RTE, for all it's faults, and people (coughs) will criticise it as they they go, there is a sense that when those moments come up, RTE are front and centre of it. Um, What you do have is news tends to be very much wham bam every day mm. it's a treadmill sport is obviously more event driven in television terms in radio terms to a lesser extent but it's still driven largely by Saturday sport and Sunday sport where online in the digital dimension as you know well know now is the one that never sleeps mm. so it's a constant basis in terms of of, of the turnaround um what well, i suppose what you do bring from news is you bring a very sort of direct black-and-white decision-making scenario around it, where TV people may argue is that because news is wham-bam and done on the day, Mm. it somehow lacks... Uh, sometimes can lack the production standards that TV like to bring to the table. Mm. So news will be uh, whistle to whistle, whereas the television production will be very much everything that goes around that: the prep, the VTS that go beforehand, teeing up, the analysis, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Mm. So,
0: so it's it's blending and mixing those two roles. It's funny because, and they haven't obviously been all in, you know, sitting down in interview form. But I mean, I go back now and having. Good chats and conversations And getting an understanding Of how you work Like from Glenn From Royal uh, Tim O'Connor before that Am mm. I forgetting one No that's And then and then yourself In terms now And I know obviously You don't have a reference point Because you're only in the job As you said maybe 20 months But In terms of the job now In terms of what you have access to now And in terms of the Existing and remaining demands on you now How challenging Is is the job and the title head of sport for RTE
1: um, it's extremely challenging it's extremely rewarding and at times it can be extremely frustrating but 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 ultimately where you've got to start with something like that is that I'm in a very privileged position I'm the head of the sport uh, of the national broadcaster which allows us to do the moments that I've outlined uh, Ireland playing the All Blacks Dublin's five in a row mm. the Olympic hockey qualifiers the November series no matter the Olympic games the Euros the Women's World Cup last year like Just on the Women's World Cup alone. RTE had never done the Women's World Cup uh, before uh, and women's sport has now come to a certain level whereby it's what I describe as the crossing of the Rubicon moment in terms of the global impact of women's sport. But RTE had never done it before. We looked at doing it initially and we were looking at doing four quarterfinals, two semi-finals and a final. So seven matches. And then we looked at it and we said, that's not doing that tournament justice. Mm. And we had concerns around some of the standard, particularly around the group stages. We had particular concerns historic, which were allayed over the course of the tournament around the goalkeeping element within women's uh, soccer. Um, but we looked at it and we said, well, rather than do seven, can we do 15? Can we do 20? Mm. And then we looked at it and we, we got ourselves up into a position whereby we thought we, we could do 20 to 25. And then we looked at it again and we said, in conjunction with with, with some of my bosses inside we said well what actually if we were to do this tournament real justice and do everything so we approached TG Cahar and we said lads we have some scheduling issues here there are some games here we own the rights to this tournament rather than let it go uh, why don't we sit down see if we can work something out here so TG Cahar ended up doing 29 games we ended up doing 23 we did 52 games in a Women's World Cup that built that and built Ireland and built. And built th- that we weren't in. That mm-hmm. built, and built and built and built and the group stages got a certain level of audience and the knockout stages got a certain level and the semi-finals blew it off the charts because it was England versus the USA yeah. uh, and then the final as well and and people like Sam Kerr and, and Lucy Bronze and, and Megan Rapino became global superstars and we were part of that. But is
0: that how you measure the metric of that? How do you measure the how successful that is for you is the metric literally the number of eyeballs no, watching
1: no no but, but but it but it, it it now is a metric and it has to be a metric so i i've met a number of sporting federations and associations and i've said to them because of the world we live in because of the financial situation and because of the competitive nature of our industry you have to look at figures now in a way that you may not have looked at them in the past Mm -hmm. because everything would have been well it's public service so we'll do it because it's public service and the numbers are important but not crucial so now we look at the numbers in a way whereby um, essentially in very broad terms if your uh, program or your um, sporting event or your occasion is doing a hundred thousand plus of an audience, it's in a good space. Mm. If it's doing in the region of fifty to 100,000, then you have to ask questions as to the merit of doing this, and it needs to be (coughs) scrutinised. And if you're doing under 50,000, then effectively... Real serious questions have to be asked as to the long-term viability of doing something like this because of the cost involved, etc., etc. Now you have to balance that with the public service remit because we're not just about numbers and it can't be about the three big sports—GAA, rugby, and and soccer—that will automatically deliver big numbers. Otherwise, hockey would have never got near um, television screens, or recent telling in in gymnastics would never have got sure. near it. But 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 equally, you have to look at the impact that it is having, and if you look at something and I think the women in sport thing is something that's particularly prevalent over the last 12 months but but and, and I have issues around that but if you look at something like that then you see well what's the wider impact here and the wider impact is and we're all driven by our own environments. I have a 10-year-old daughter so I look at the world now in a different way in relation to my 10-year-old Same daughter. Same as, yeah. Because she plays sport, she plays soccer, she plays GAA, she's mad into it, she's been to Anfield, she's been to the Aviva, she's been to Crow Park and she's been to a McKenna Cup game and in a scheme which is not exactly as glamorous. So, but, but but she's now engaged, she's now involved, she draws daddy's in, da- daddy in, in in this case and it, her opinion is equally as valid as her brother's opinion and that's the way...
0: So so if you only had boys, Declan, are you saying you know this is? A, yeah. I I'm in the same boat yeah. as you, by the way. I understand exactly where you're coming from. I mean, I I'm gonna, I want to come back to the women in sport thing, um, and and obviously women in media and all that, because I think it's a very interesting, um, and often divisive debate, even in my own head, by mm-hmm. the way. That is, but in terms of, you spoke about all the things you cover there, it, you know, in terms of the perfect cocktail, you know, for. Yeah. What are the elements of your coverage? I presume it's analysis, commentary. Obviously, you take it as a given that the technical side of the thing is going to be perfect, even though I know you did have a glitch at the start of the Rugby World Cup. Do you remember that? I remember that. <laughs> anyway, we, we'll come back to it. Yeah, what I'm saying is, well. yeah, like in that situation, what is the what are the elements that you need to get right percentage wise in the cocktail to that you go home at the end of the day and you kind of say to yourself, that was really good TV.
1: Okay, so you mentioned that I'm 20 months in the job. Like, I'm I, in general, I'm extremely, pr- I'm extremely proud of the output that we have, but but we can never like. R- R- RTE has never, and RTE should never, believe that it is the central component in any of this. Because we don't, we don't score. We didn't put the ball in the net for Own Merchant. We, you know, we, we, we didn't save a penalty for Alicia McFerrin in in the Hockey World Cup. Our job is to to get there, provide a, 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 an absolutely excellent technical element of uh, in coverage of the game provide informed analysis mm-hmm. and i think that's the key thing in terms of informed analysis and to draw people in uh, and uh, one of the things that i that i sometimes cite is if you go back to the all ireland final uh, in in hurling it was the fourth camera replay that definitively sort of settled the debate for most people uh, in relation to Richie Hogan uh, and the contact that was made. Now, uh, you know, it's not for me to judge Richie's intent or lack of intent or otherwise, but it was the fourth angle that was... If you go to a rugby match, it's the TMO that says, yes, there was pressure on the ball when it was going down. Our job is to make sure that all of that is covered off.
0: And credit where it's due, the All-Ireland semi-final, wasn't Limerick and Kilkenny? It was the Cusacks... Cusack stand angle of the sideline cut that did Get the deflection, and should have been a sixty-five. That was the talk. Yeah, point.
1: and and in fairness, to, in, in fairness too, I, I think it was Michael Dignan who was immediately on. He was—I don't think he was working that day—but Michael Dignan was the person who immediately spotted that, and then it became a conversation. We became aware of it. The director went and looked for the for, for, for the correct angle, and then it was proven definitively in terms of the nature of of what was at play in the sense of it should have been a sixty-five and it wasn't. So our job is is to turn up, and it could be in all sorts of weather if you if, if you remember back to the very the olympic hockey qualifier not the one that people remember which was the second one but the one that was played on the saturday night That's was right. in atrocious, atrocious conditions weather, yeah. but our job is, is is to put that on to provide us uh, to, to, to 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 reflect the spectacle i was going to say provide a spectacle but we don't do that the players do that mm. to reflect the spectacle to inform people to entertain people in some cases to educate people uh, because again hockey is is like something that uh, an audience comes to every now and again most of the nation don't understand it, but it's like the Olympic Games. When you watch the Olympic Games, nobody understands half the events. And then within 10 days, everybody's an expert in relation to every event in the yeah. Olympic Games. Yeah. Uh, you know, from, from Taekwondo to, to the modern pentathlon, and suddenly everybody knows something about it. That's our job. And in general, with, with, with a couple of exceptions... I think we do a very, very good job across across all platforms. Like our radio coverage on Saturday and Sunday, I would argue our radio coverage on a Sunday in terms of w- the, the breadth of coverage. And last weekend, we moved all the rugby to 2FM so, so that the GAA uh, was still covered. Whereas on the weekend of the general election, we didn't have a Sunday sport that day mm-hmm. because... Uh, the, Arguably the whole country, um, and certainly RTE, was consumed by the election. And that's something that we have to do as part of our public service remit. So something like that is a big decision for us, but but our coverage in general... I think, is, is largely on the mark. Now, there will be people who will be critical, and I've I, said this before. I think 80% of the criticism is through a lack of knowledge, mm. um, 10% of it is generally off the wall, and 10% of it is largely justified.
0: Only 10% is off the wall? Oh. I'd, I'd oh. actually say... I thought you were going to say only 10% is justified. No, I would say only 10%. I mean, that is something, Declan, which, I mean, and you both of us are on social media, um... Like, at times I find social media an ugly place. I mean, genuinely, some of the lads, i got to be thankful at times to Larry and Colum sitting around me who say to me, like, don't, you can't re- respond to that. And it's kind of one of those debates, isn't it? I often think we, we talk about this sensationalism and people's appetite for it um, being a new, relatively new phenomenon. But my argument, Dick, is, is it really? I mean, we've always liked the controversial soundbite. We've always tuned in to, you know, and I'm going to come obviously to, to the punditry issue as well in this. We always kind of say, I got to hear what he's saying, or I got to hear what she's saying, or they're going to say something. I'm going to watch this because your man is going to go off and one hear for certain. Is there still a place for that in sports analysis? That is, the, I suppose, the kernel of what I'm saying, and I'm asking that by the way of myself as much as you.
1: Yeah, I, I well, I think there's two questions there in the sense of one is the social media dimension, and I think social media is brilliant, and I think it's a sewer at times, and I I I, I, I think I, I think it's horrendous in terms of the the pub conversation now gets my magg- Magnified into a national or a global conversation. And, you know, I, I did some work with Joe Kernan and the RMAR team back in 2005. And I remember one thing that Joe always said. He said the great thing about GAA, because obviously it was, it was, it was RMAR at the time, is that everybody can have an opinion. He said the worst thing about the GAA is that everybody does have an opinion regardless of how informed it is. So now something gets picked up on social media and and, and people are so personal about elements, be it um, appearance, dress, dress, um, the manner in which people do stuff, conduct themselves, but and that gets magnified. In relation to the second part of the question as such, is the replace for the controversy, is the replace for the soundbite? Yeah, absolutely. Part of what we do has to be about entertainment. But I think there's a balance there and, and this is part of the balance in the sense of I personally, uh, I, both personally and professionally, do not believe it's about fundamentally the soundbite, the headline the next day, unless that's very informed. So I'll give you an example and some, sometimes I've been criticised both internally and externally for using Sky as an example. If you go back a number of probably six, eight weeks ago, there was a discussion on Monday Night Football involving Gary Neville. And Gary, ne- it was about racism and Raheem Sterling. And Gary Neville identified and called out Boris Johnson uh, for racist views within the leaders' debate the time of the British general election, which I think had happened either 24 or 48 hours before that. Um, and one of our Sunday game pundits actually sent me the clip from Twitter uh, in the sense of, have you seen this? And my response to them was, yeah, I've seen it, I'm watching it live, it's excellent, I'd l- I love us to do that, provided it's informed. And and that's the key thing for me. It's not about saying something to to grab a headline. It's about saying something that needs to be said but but has some form of basis behind it. Mm. So, should um, Sky and should RTE have a social conscience in relation to the broader society? Yeah, absolutely. If you go back over the years, people would have spoken about Maradona and Pele and people like that, sort of coming from the slums or coming from poor backgrounds whereby they didn't have the advantages of the other, but football became their exit route and it became their way out, Mm. and and this is something that society has to be conscious of and etc, etc, and now you have multi-millionaire footballers. So, National broadcasters should have a, a, a social conscience and they should allow people to articulate that social conscience. But it has to have some sort of basis. The flip side of that Monday night football discussion was that the Sky presenter immediately went, oh, that's your view, Gary, nothing to do with Sky. And of course, Sky and, and Gary Neville rightly came back and went, well, sort of, what are you talking about? This is, you know, I, 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 you didn't put the words in my mouth. I'm saying it, I'm standing over it. And if Sky have a problem with that, now I think Sky got that. Fundamentally wrong on the night, and they subsequently apologise. And I think they know themselves. Well, the host got it. got it wrong. They, they got, yes, mm. they, 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 the host got it wrong on the night. But, but I'm sure there was somebody in the host's ear. Um. So, but, 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 so to your point, should it be entertaining? Should it be controversial? Yes, absolutely, provided it's informed. Yeah. Not, not, not entertaining and controversial for the sake of being entertaining and controversial and putting one individual at the centre of a debate that should be a much broader debate. That's yeah. my view.
0: Do you, I mean, do you feel, and I suppose I'm thinking specifically in relation to Dunphy, in relation to Brawley, who, there's times I've watched both of them. And I've actually said to myself, like, that's a great point. You know, that is a great point. You know, these guys have been there. They're both very articulate. And there are other times I looked at them and I thought to myself, oh, you know, what? he's nowhere here. Like, And so I suppose... When you're looking at the analysts, and I know you kind of made a few comments when you got the job initially about setting the standard in that regard, but when you're sitting on your sofa watching these folk no deck, are you actually looking at them as the person on the sofa or are you looking as effectively their boss?
1: No, I'm. I, I, I like the, the pundits in particular are contractors. I'm not their boss. If if Des Cahill or Joanne Cantwell or Jackie Hurley or Darren Frehle, Darren Maloney, Peter Collins, any of our presenters say something, I'm their boss. If if the
0: pundits say something, they
1: are contracted to us. Mm. I'm not their boss. I shouldn't be their
0: boss. They're, but you are really though. Well, well, it's like a columnist in the Examiner writes something which is off the wall. Ultimately, I'll be answering. Yeah, it, and like. ultimately, we sh- we should be. But 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 the boss
1: scenario suggests that, that 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 you you have a sense whereby you're either telling them what they can say or what they can't say, or that you're you're somehow curtailing them. Like this is this is part of a broader discussion, which I'm sure we'll get to. But essentially, it comes back to to, to the sense of nobody in RTE has ever been told what they can say or what they can't say, and nobody's been ever ever been told to say something in particular. There are two exceptions to that and the two exceptions apply to The Examiner and and the BBC and and uh, Sky and The Independent, The Times, every media outlet. Number one there's the laws of the land in terms of you can say something about an individual that you can stand over in terms of libel or slander or their reputation. And, and, and uh, the second one is in terms of you, and that that's applicable to prime time, to the six one news, to the nine, to, to, to anything like that. So you can't say. It. And the second one is, we have made it clear that we don't want personal attacks. Now, what's the definition of a personal attack? Exactly. That can be subjective, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. But I think we all know that there is a line that you don't cross in terms of personal attacks. And I think we've we've crossed that in the past. Mm. And I think there had, there was an era in Irish broadcasting driven by RTE, which was very personality-driven. You've mentioned two of the individuals. The third one was George Hook, Mm -hmm. who who was very much personality-driven and personality-centric. And that had an era, and uh, people enjoyed it. And I think people have tired of it somewhat. Mm-hmm. Now, the argument of some people is that we're going from that side of the fence to the polar opposite and the word, Stats and well, and the word that is used is banal. And is RTE going banal? And and you know, are you trying to clamp down on stuff and, 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 and make it anodyne or vanilla or one person has described it as a sort of rose of Tralee analysis. Mm-hmm. And and I'll tell you what I told the thirty GAA pundits who were brought into RTE on, in January every year for the last two years because we have a, a, a meeting and we set out the stall for the year. If we go banal, it's not because of any innate conservatism on my part or on the part of RTE. It's because you guys go banal. But I find it hard to, f- to, to, to believe that Tomás O'Shea or Colm O'Rourke or Donal Cusick or Richie Sadler or Liam Brady or Didi Haman are suddenly going to go banal. Mm. Um, because it's not in their nature. We don't want them to do it. But if we go banal, it's not down to any policy or diktat that's handed down from RTE. It's down to the analysts themselves.
0: Mm. And in actual fact, we continue to thread that line in terms of people don't always like what the pundits have to say. Okay, so I'm hearing you like what you want is a balance. I mean, you're, you're, if you were to actually have a prototype pundit, for want of a better word, it would be somebody who's, you know, been there, done that, has great knowledge, but can deliver it in an entertaining way. I mean, if I was to say to you, what are the three criteria for a good pundit on RT Sport? They are?
1: We've said this uh, to every analyst that we've been involved with. There there are three criteria that we set out. Number one is credibility. Number two is an informed opinion. And by informed opinion, I mean something over and above that you're going to hear on the terraces or the pub. And the third is the ability to articulate that opinion. Because remember, in a broadcast environment, you might have... 30 seconds to get your point across or you might have two and a half minutes to get your point across or in some cases you might have 15 seconds mm. because you've got three people on a panel and somebody's in the presenter's ear screaming we need to go to an ad break here. So you have to have the ability to make your point succinctly uh, and, and distinctly in, in a very short
0: period of time. And that by the way is frustrating at times. I've heard it from several pundits and I've even been there once or twice myself where you actually kind of feel like you're rushing your point and it's not a discussion like this where you you're having a chat Yeah, i mean th- that, that is a weakness probably of of multi match highlight system
1: yeah and it's all, it's also but it's also the very nature of television in the sense that you know there you know sometimes if you go back to the, my old environment Morning Ireland you'll hear Morning Arl- Ireland uh, after a two hour programme say we apologise to Ryan Turbidey for going over at nine o'clock because they've gone yeah. to 901 or 902 and people will say well how can you go over on a two hour programme but the very nature of things is the discussion panels will overrun everybody wants to make their point some people have very valid points to make we live in a world whereby we're dual funded we have to take ad breaks this is the nature of things we run competitions and, and that happens mm. but, but, but a, a really good pun it, you know, can 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 make their point very quickly, quickly, very distinctly, uh, and 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 still get, um, still get their point across. Mm. Can I go back on one thing? Because again, there is a huge focus now, and, and you've picked up on it again in the sense that we are looking for balance, and balance is almost. ...put forward as a negative. I don't think we are looking for balance... ...because balance is now seen as... ...well if you've got X you must have Y... ...and if you insult A you must cover, cover it off with B... I don't think we're looking for balance Uh, like for example if you go back to some of the more controversial incidents let's take the richie hogan sending off right so so henry and jackie were on that day and both of the lads said no there are extenuating circumstances the head moved backward richie it's it's a fraction off on the timing etc etc and anthony Daly and don log were there and they're going sorry lads it's a red card it's a red card yeah That's not balance. We're not looking for somebody to say he was right, he was wrong. What we're looking for is an informed debate in in the same way that you could argue that a red card is a red card is a red card and there's 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 no argument around that but mm. we're not looking for a for a balance whereby somebody says one referee is great and another referee is terrible or you know there was a referee who was praised on league sunday on on sunday night mm. uh, but equally there was a degree of controversy around some of the hurling decisions that mm. were made on sunday night again that's not balanced that's just calling it as it is and you had the
0: same issue with the football final with uh, Johnny Cooper sending yes. off when Kieran Whelan was was in the studio that day and I suppose that leads me to a question which I don't have a right answer to but because you know I'm just wondering what your view on it is the whole area of having pundits from competing counties yeah
1: okay and and your colleague John Fogarty phoned me after the All-Ireland Final and asked the question would we continue to have people on from a particular county when that county was playing and my answer to him then as is now is yes absolutely fundamentally the difference is we expect those people to call out their county when, when, when there is an incident that needs to be called out. Mm. But the idea that, that, that we sit back and you have um, Kilkenny and Tipperary uh, are in an All-Ireland final and you don't use Henry Shefflin, and you don't use Jackie Turrell, and you don't use Brendan Cummins, all of whom are brilliant analysts, Mm. and you wouldn't use Liam Sheedy uh, prior to Liam getting the job when Liam was there with um, Gerlach Nan and Cyril Farrell, to me that's just a nonsense, in Mm. the sense of, um, you know, the guys are there to do a job. They've stepped away from the dressing room. Yes, they obviously have still an affiliation. Sometimes they will wear the jersey, but but if, if, if... if a red card is a red card, call it lads. Yeah. If a yellow card is a yellow card, call it lads. And if if it's borderline, then argue the case. Yeah. But but the idea that we would somehow to me that would be sanitizing and balance. That that would be the, the where the balance goes wrong. I, yeah, no no, it, I hear you. Yeah. So, so, everybody's so from somewhere. Yes, everybody's and, from somewhere anyway and and and, and 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 I think we have a brilliant pool of pundits and analysts now. But their job Is to call what they see in front of them, and I don't care what jersey they wore or what jersey is playing in front of them. If 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 they can't call it, then they shouldn't be there. Mm. And their job is to call it. So so to somehow penalise pundits because their county is playing to me is is just that's balance gone
0: completely wrong. Are there? I presume you're constantly Declan, no more than the rest of us, um, looking for new talent, yeah, and looking for people. Uh, last Monday night week, you probably saw it, um, Roy Keane and Jamie Carragher had a very interesting conversation on Monday night football. Bit of fun yeah. about the joint. But I just looked at Keane, and I've seen Keane be personal now. I've seen him call, I think, two Spurs full-backs, Dumb and Dumber, Correct. which probably crosses the threshold that you were talking about a while ago. But is Roy Keane, does Roy Keane tick all those boxes that you spoke about as a pundit at the moment. I know he'll argue he wants to get back into management. He's only in it short term, but he's earning his bobs from the sky.
1: Oh yeah, absolutely. I think uh, like one of one of the key arguments around something is. If I'm watching this uh, and it gets to half time, am I gonna go and put the kettle on, or am yeah. I gonna stay because I want to hear the views of A, B, and C? Uh, and Roy Keane, in large measure, not for everybody now, because Roy has uh, gone on on various different tangents at various different times, um, and and Roy is a is a polemic figure in some senses anyway but are you, gonna, are you likely to watch uh, Roy Keane? Yes, absolutely mm. you are uh, and that's the nature of the people that we have to look for but I, I again come, come back to it and, and, and Roy has played the game it, it, I, I mean the punditry game as much as anybody else. Roy knows that if he puts something controversial in there it will get picked up. Mm. The question is, is, is that an informed opinion or is that Roy playing the game? Shit storing.
0: Yeah exactly. Yeah. Um, picking and, and 10 United players and one Liverpool player uh, last Monday night and, I think. and, and that's the nature yeah. of it but that's great but you see that's the discussion again Declan isn't it that's still great TV uh, yeah and it's very entertaining TV absolutely but and, you have and, a but there and you? I watch it no, no
1: I don't have a but well I have a but with it in the sense that you know I, I think picking teams for the last 10 years or the last 20 years or comparing a team like they did it the other night with the, the, the 77 Doug Leash yeah. uh, uh, team with the 81 Alan Hansen Ian Rush. Team uh, now forward to the Fergie team now forward to the Mo Salah Bobby Firmino team, you just kind of go, ah lads, just enjoy it for what it was. Mm. Like you know, you you know, was Mick O'Connell better than Jack O'Shea? I don't know. I didn't see Mick O'Connell. I saw Jack O'Shea. He was a legend. You know, is is he better than Brian Fenton? Let's just enjoy Brian Fenton for what Brian Fenton is. Enjoy Jack O'Shea for what Jack O'Shea was, and celebrate the fact that every generation has its heroes and every generation produces a new set of heroes. And that's that's David Clifford now. That's Connor McManus now. That's Michael Murphy now.
0: Sure. So you know, do do you just accept it at this stage? Uh, and it was something uh, actually one of your, I would say, best pundits said to me uh, recently in the chat, but I won't say who he was. Like, do you just accept it now, when you heard that Joe Brawley rant um after leaving, do you just accept it now that nobody's going to walk out the door Marty, like not having their contract renewed and actually say thanks R.T., it's been wonderful. Uh, no
1: I don't accept that because if you look at uh, Robert Hall uh, left us a, a couple of weeks ago Good on our racing yeah. coverage and, and Robert was extremely professional very respectful And um, by the nature of things, um, time moves on and, and, and Robert had a lovely tribute going out the door uh, as such and acknowledged that and came back in email form and text form and he was, as you would expect from Robert, a perfect gentleman in relation to that, so no I, I don't accept, but but equally um, I'm not surprised if somebody doesn't have a contract renewed and decides to have a lash No, mm. I, I think you'd be naive Because
0: Dunphy did it um, I'm not sure George Hook did it or not but Joe certainly did it and yep. I saw the Joe one because it was YouTubed by mm. Shane Stapleton on yep. the day and I watched it afterwards and look, I'll offer an editorial opinion in this. I thought he over-personalised it. it. I thought he got too much into Declan McBennett and not enough about RTE. And it seemed that he was laying what he perceived to be the ills of RTE sport directly at your doorstep. And I am telling you that to your face. If I thought it was bang on, Declan, I'd say it was bang on. Yeah,
1: I, no, I, I, I fully accept that. Like, I mean, the... the um the best piece of advice I got came from somebody who said, uh, even the winner gets dirty if you allow yourself to get dragged into a mud fight. Mm. So there were a number of things that were said by people who have not had their contracts renewed that were very direct, um, and and I've, I've no intention of going there in the sense that um, there's, there, there's, there's I, I think the public in general are bored with it, and I don't believe getting into a tit-for-tat is is of any basis. What I will say is this. I outlined earlier on and it, it, when I got the job that there were three criteria to get a, a seat on the RTE panel. So you have credibility, informed opinion and the ability to articulate that opinion. There are two reasons why people leave RTE. Number one is the passage of time means that things roll on. So you had Enda Collar in Once Upon a Time and, and nowadays you have Tomás O'Shea, and that's just the passage of time. You had Michal O'Hare, you had Michal Amara Hartig and now you've got Jair, Marty and Dara. Mm. That's the passage of time. The other is if your contract gets cancelled. And if your contract is not renewed, then you have to ask why was it not renewed? And I would say essentially there are four reasons or criteria why somebody's contract would not be renewed they would basically be that if you are damaging our credibility more than you are enhancing it if key people on my team come and say I no longer want to work with A, B or C because Mm. it involves too much micromanagement in terms of all the other things that I have to do in order to get a programme or a production out if um, the manner in which you engage with other people who are engaged by RTE is making them uncomfortable in some manner shape or form and critically if you're not doing the hard yards in terms of the professionalism, uh, and you're not doing the hard yards in terms prep. of the homework th- and prep that mm. needs to be done. So, I think anybody who has a contract cancelled, uh, if they want to understand why they have a contract cancelled, they can probably focus in on those four areas and, and take it from there.
0: And just, and I, I appreciate your, you, you know, and I, you know, you're not going to get into a tit for tat, and that's mm. a, but. But I just to clarify two things for me on that that, that were kind of left because obviously this is your first time speaking since. Uh, Joe Brawley left RTE. The decision not to renew his contract, was that based in any way on his performance on All-Ireland final Sunday on the 1st of September?
1: Definitively no. The decision with regard to Joe's contract was taken before the first drawn game.
0: Okay. And he mentioned something that went completely over my head, something about touching Pats balan on the arm mm. and that having some work. Can you explain what that was about? Uh, or uh, and what? How I'll,
1: I'll explain it in broad terms, Tony, because I'm, I'm not <coughs> going to get drawn no, into this. No, I appreciate there, that. There, there's no. So I go back to what I said in terms of doing the hard yards in terms of preparation. If key people on my team don't want to come, to come along, uh, or don't want to work with individuals anymore, uh, if you're damaging the credibility more than you're enhancing it, or if your interaction with, with, with other people that are engaged by RTE is not a the level that we would want to do so if i come along to 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 tony lean and i say tony your contract's not been renewed i would expect your first question to be why and the answer to the why is the four things that i've just outlined i would expect your second question to be will give me examples in relation to what you're talking about so everything that was put out in the public domain there related back to particular examples no one thing in isolation but a combination of of, of examples but i suppose fundamentally the, the 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 key thing that has emerged from a number of those uh, non-contract renewals are uh, along the following lines nobody has ever been told what to say on rte mm. and we have we have i'll, I'll deal with GAA, because that's the area that you've touched on. We had 39 pundits working for us last year. We've 30 working for us this year. Not one of those pundits uh, has come out and said, we've been told what to say, what not to say. We were encouraged to say this, or encouraged to say that, or we were told not to say that. Mm. So nobody has ever told that. That's not the nature of these things. But I suppose the fundamental issue of this comes back, and you mentioned the Shane Stapleton um, podcast that Mm. was there. Okay, so, so to be fair to Joe... One of the uh, statements that Joe made in that Chain Stapleton podcast was the manipulation of public opinion is great fun when you pit X against Y and throw in a few grenades. That's where I have the divergence with regard to pundits. I don't believe in the manipulation of public opinion. Mm. I believe in standards that are informed, that are based up in some sort of fact, not statistical data that has to be churned out, mm. but based in fact. I don't be- believe in the manipulation of public opinion by pitting x against y and throwing in a few grenades. Yeah. There's the difference.
0: And interestingly, you've also mentioned there like that you 39 last year and you've 30 this year yeah. which means there's eight other pundits by the way haven't had their contracts removed or aren't going to be. No, no, and I'm I'm laboring the point because I haven't heard from any of those
1: it, it, well th- that's a different essentially what we said uh, I took over the job on the 1st of June 2018 we met with the pundits for uh, in January 2019 in a GAA context there's a place to soccer It a place to Absolutely. rugby It a place yeah, to yeah. every other sport um, and we had 39 there and what we said to them at the time was guys we need Fewer, better, and greater consistency. Because I'll give you an example. Um, Porrick Lodge, one of our commentators, obviously had worked with sixteen different co-commentators across uh, football in the year before, in twenty eighteen. And, and if you tune into our rugby coverage, you know you're getting Michael Corcoran and Donal Lennon, or you're getting Hugh Cahill and Donal Lenehan. Um, and and there's a consistency there, and there's a, a credibility there, etc., mm. etc. Et and there's a chemistry that allows. So Michael will know how Donal works, and Donal will understand when to come in with and Michael. And stuff a relationship like that. with the listener. By relationship exactly yeah. with, with 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 the listener and and that's important and people recognize that and it's what makes other um uh radio presenters be it you know anybody from ian dempsey to 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 ryan Toberty, it makes you know the audience feel at home with them you don't get that consistency if you're constantly chopping and changing yeah. so so we we, we 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 it's we didn't it's not that we didn't renew contracts it's just some of the people that were there previously we didn't re-engage yeah, sure. uh, uh, and, and some of them were on, on the spots, so they weren't on contracts per se that mm-hmm. were there for counsel. But it, it, to, to your broader point, um, I'm perfectly happy for anybody to ask any of our pundits, from Didi Haman to Liam Brady to uh, Eddie O'Sullivan, you, you, you know, any of the people who walk uh, across our output, are you told what to say? Are you told what you can't say? Have you ever been instructed to say X, Y or Z? The answer to all three questions is no.
0: Maybe should maybe one or th- some should have said that. So after the, well anyway, that's yeah. Maybe that's a different discussion. When you're talking Declan about the people that you're bringing in for your punditry, and, and sometimes I actually don't even like the word punditry. I rather use the word analysis mm-hmm. because punditry I think kind of demeans it a small bit. You obviously need no. Sorry, you don't need no. I'd rephrase that. And, and even the fact that I'm rephrasing it, you know, feels like I'm kind of like dancing through landmines when it comes to... Yeah, I know where you're going here. Yeah, like like female. Women, yeah. Female analysis, yeah. like, and I look certainly, you know, you spoke about the criteria. Yeah. And I look at some sports stars, whether they're male or female, and I'd agree with you, credibility, being there, done that, and the ability to deliver is it just a natural thing that you're finding it harder to get quality female pundits on at the moment because obviously just in terms of the numbers game, there's so much more male sports people. Yeah,
1: and, 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 and historically it's there because the male pundits have been, have been there anyway and the pool is much broader and the pool is much deeper. If you take somebody like Ursula Jacob, Breedstack and Elaine Eelward, three of the, uh, of, mm. the, of the female analysts who work with us, all excellent, all have credibility, all have an informed opinion and all have the ability to articulate that opinion. But the pool is much more shallow on the female Pundit analyst side of the house because there simply aren't the level of household names. What what broader society now is trying to do, and RT is part of this, is essentially play catch up. Mm. But 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 there's an expectation that we play catch up in 12 months for for something that the, the male pundits have had 20, 30, 40 years of the Sunday game yep. to do. Now you can go back to Liz Howard and say that there was a tradition there, um, exactly. But but the pool is still very very small. Mm. But but with great Greater visibility, and that's one of RTE's responsibilities, particularly around something like camogie or hockey, with greater visibility comes greater name recognition, comes greater uh, facial recognition, comes greater um, exposure, and therefore people don't tune in and go, who is that individual? They tune in and they go, oh, I automatically know who she is, Mm. because, you know... I, I sat at the All Stars two years ago, and and this is one of the things, and maybe it's a it's a, a reflection of of my knowledge of hurling, but I I, I sat beside the father of a, of a very well known uh, Dublin footballer, uh, and the hurling team were paraded on the stage in front of us in the convention centre, and I said, take Joe Canning out of that team, and how many of those would you recognise if you walk down the street without and, their helmets? And and the reality of it is, because of the nature of helmets, etc., etc. A much smaller number of the hurlers are instantly recognisable than the footballers. Mm. That's similar with regard to female sport because of the lack of visibility of female sport. But the flip side of that is, and I go back to my 10-year-old daughter, is Ursula Jacobs' opinion any less credible, any less informed, or has she any less ability to articulate that opinion than Derek McGrath or Anthony Daly or Donal Cusick or Donal O'Grady? No, absolutely not. You know, we had the Women's World Cup, so we've Louise Quinn, Megan Campbell, Mm. um, you know, Lisa Fallon. Lisa Fallon, who has worked with men teams. Fiona Fiona McHale is somebody that we've um, reached out to before and would like to do more with because she's Managing a men, you have to have a certain persona. You have to have a certain ability to walk into a men's changing room, command the respect of that team, and they all have that. Yeah.
0: So you're right, but what you're you're talking about a meritocracy there? Yes, absolutely. You're, yeah, you're talking about a merit-based system, which I am 100% behind. Like the, the examiner sports team is often described rightly as a very male-centric sports team, and it is. But we have given countless opportunities to female sports writers to to want-to-be journalists to female sports stars that moved into journalism and the only one that has stood the test of time and I I hold her up every time I have this discussion is Therese O'Callaghan. Therese O'Callaghan is absolutely brilliant and I don't look at Therese O'Callaghan as a female sports writer. I look at her as I need a really good job done on that. I'm getting Therese. Yeah. And that's the deal. I'm just saying, Declan, there's a meritocracy. I'm just wondering... Where does merit end and tokenism begin at times I I,
1: I I never advocate tokenism. in fact, I think tokenism is dangerous and damaging to the pundit so if if there 's an element whereby we 're using somebody in a tokenistic fashion, that actually damages the Ursula, the alien Aylward, yeah. the breed stack and by the, the way, denise, it damages gender de, equality de, as well did de, denise masterson what, what I, what I what I do argue is that on until such time as Every outlet tries a number of individuals. They don't know how good somebody is going to be. Yeah. So, so somebody, men and women, will be given an opportunity and they will come across as very credible, very informed, but maybe don't, don't have the ability to articulate that nature. And then you'll say, OK, we move on to somebody else. Mm. And the pool is smaller uh, on the female side of the house. But
0: Are you going to be as harsh on one of those female tryouts as you would be on a male tryout Uh, are you going to be as harsh on a female who might say something controversial as you would be on a Brawley or a Dunphy or whoever else.
1: If the opinion stacks up, I've no problem with the controversy involved. Will we be as harsh? Yes. Like We we have openly said that we need to try X number of individuals in order to find Y number, because Mm. not everybody is going to make it. That's the environment. We've had multiple male panelists over the year that we've used, some of whom are legends in the game, and they didn't stand the test of time. because they were incredible, not because they didn't have an informed opinion, but simply because it didn't work for a broadcast environment. Yeah, I but, you. but 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 that doesn't take away from their knowledge. And yeah, I, I, again, this ties in with the whole social media thing. At times, there are female pundits who get criticised, and people aren't listening to what they're saying.
0: Mm. Um, and, and they've made their decision. They've already. made their decision yeah, by I agree the with very you? fact
1: that they're standing there. I agree. And and why is why is A, B, and C commenting on a men's match? Get out of the cave, lads. Yeah. And 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 if A, B and C is not good enough, then argue the point that A, B and C is not good enough on the basis of their performance. Yeah. Not on the basis of the fact that they shouldn't be there in the first place. Yeah. That's, that's an archaic argument. It this is. is and, and
0: you, I have to say, are very lucky in that you've inherited um, a team of actual staff that have some actually excellent excellent sports journalists on them we I think of Ivan. I think of Joanne I think of Jackie Hurley Claire, Claire McNamara, McNamara. Yeah. so you are we very well served in that regard but yeah. would you accept that at the moment it is a hard sell at the moment to actually find the balance there because you're looking you know we're early in the process I suppose still
1: when it becomes the norm then we've crossed the rubicon. I agree, but 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 last year again, go back to the women's World Cup. We had a panel whereby I'm open to correction on this, but I think Jackie was presenting, and on the panel was Onyo O'Gorman, Irish international, Louise Quinn, Irish international, and possibly Megan Campbell, Irish international. Mm. Now, did anybody say that the level of analysis there was 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 not up to scratch? No, because they're okay. They were commenting on the women's game, and they've played the women's game. Mm. But 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 did peop- you have any
0: male analysts on the show?
1: Yeah, we had we had Kevin Doyle, we had Richie Sadler, yeah. we had a number. But so so again, you know, nobody said what are they doing commenting on the females' game? You know, so wh- why are we asking the question? Why are the female? It's not about whether it's a man or a woman. It's about whether you're good enough and whether the point that you're making mm. is so so. You know, go go back to some of the the, the controversies or um, disputed calls that have arisen in relation to the male pundits. Some some people can legitimately sit at home and go, "Is he watching the same game that I'm watching?" Because what he has said is factually inaccurate. Mm-hmm. It's absolutely wrong. But but that gets passed off as, "Oh, they've got a particular bias. Oh, they're wearing a particular county jersey." Actually, maybe the lads just got it wrong on the day.
0: Yeah. Nobody says they don't know what they're talking about, exactly. is what you mean. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, like, I, I get the sense, Declan, at times, and I know it to a far lesser extent than you do, that I, I, I even at the very start of this segment, I, I talk about us kind of walking through kind of landmines. And it feels like that. I mean, I when I saw the Colm O'Rourke episode recently, mm. and I mean, I must admit, I was watching, I was home from work on the Sunday night, I was watching the game that night, and like obviously given our own, both our jobs, I'd be a little more aware than the normal fella mm. of this kind of stuff. That completely went over my head. I didn't even pick it up and I saw people, Maura Trastini-Khalig being one, you know, making some, in fairness, very good and articulate points that I understood the following day. But I just thought to myself, if anything happens to Colm O'Rourke over this episode, we're gone mad. Okay. We've, we've crossed the... the ba- oh,
1: okay, but you see, again there, Tony, and, and you're the second journalist to, to make that leap in relation to something was said, therefore something might happen. Well... And, and another journalist picked up on that, and... and, and that's the, wor- the world and, we live in, and Dick. The wor- yeah, and the word that was used was ousted, yeah, okay? Yeah. And I spoke to the journalist in question, and I said, okay, everybody needs to take take a step back here. So let's go through that, because it's in the public domain, Okay do I think for one second that Colm O'Rourke meant any offence in relation to the language that he used? Absolutely not, definitively 100%. Colm O'Rourke is a very, very intelligent school principal who mm. deals with young lads who are probably coming out on a regular basis, and I'm sure the standards that apply at St Pat's and Navan are second to none. Yep. So do I think Colm meant any offence? Absolutely not. None whatsoever. In fact, I think his track record would suggest exactly the opposite. What happened that night? What happened that night is, as far as I'm aware, Conor Cusack picked up on the comments in Cork... David Goff picked up on Connor Cusick's um, comments. comments. And then because David Goff um, uh, has a number of followers on, on, on Twitter. And has a profile. And has a profile. And because of the nature of what he does and because of the great work that he has done in relation to uh, expressing concerns around mental health and sexuality, etc., cetera, etc., cetera, that was picked up on. What happened in the subsequent 24 hours was... I was tagged on the David Goff tweet. Um, so what happened in the following 24 hours were there were 2,000 reactions to that tweet and a second tweet. Okay, So David Goff said what he said on social media and one individual, whose name escapes me, replied back saying, basically, that was not the intention of Colin O'Rourke, don't be precious about this. And then people like Maura Trassa came in and said, it's not for others to interpret mm. how one person interprets what was said. It's for them to learn from it. There were 2,000 uh, interactions. About 1,300 were uh, agreed with what David Goff had said, which was that the language could be interpreted in an offensive manner, and perhaps there is a need to move on from that language. And there were about six. To six fifty to seven hundred, who said, "Get over it." Colum O'Rourke had absolutely not a single, not an iota of uh, intention to insult or even offend anybody. So there, you had a two to one split in relation to a comment that was made. The difference is in the world that we live in, that played itself out in social media. Mm. Uh, whereas a while ago, going back a number of years, that would have played itself out between the two individuals concerned. Somebody would have lifted the phone and said, um, you know, maybe you need to be more conscious about your language. Maybe that shouldn't happen. And we now live in an age of instant information. So column says something, Conor Cusick reacts, David Goff reacts, I I fully take on board what David Goff had to say. And I think the point that everybody learns from this is that the language that we use is an evolving language and language that was used 10, 15, 20 years ago now has an entirely different meaning and people have an entirely different interpretation of it. But fundamentally, do I believe that Colm O'Rourke meant any offence?
0: Absolutely not. So it wasn't a Monday morning landmine for you. You just basically said... I'm not getting involved in this. I'm having no conversation with Colum O'Rourke. Uh,
1: no, uh, actually, on the Sunday night, because I was tagged in on the David Coff tweet, I alerted Colum to the fact... That David had an issue with the language that column had used right. uh, and Column responded and said that himself and David had already been in contact now to my mind two mature individuals at the center of the of, of the, the language that would been used were now having a conversation if Orti want to row into back in on the back of that then we fuel the controversy fuel the fuel the debate fuel the discussion and suddenly we're taking one side you know is Colm O'Rourke going to be ousted are we going to throw Column under the bus for something like that mm. absolutely not that would be insane it would be balance gone mad it would be pc gone mad mm. do we as an organization and all our pundits across every code need to be acutely conscious of the language that they use maybe that's the lesson from we learned yeah. but no fault attributed to to column and certainly no fault attributed to david or to conor Cusack in the manner in which they interpret i think
0: by the way pc has gone mad that's the first thing i'll say Dick. pc has gone mad it doesn't seem okay anymore in society as much as like television or television if you drill it right down to television analysis to actually get something wrong you know like we always will get something wrong I'll get stuff wrong today and I'll get more stuff wrong tomorrow and I'm sure on Friday I'll get more stuff wrong again it just seems that people now seem to be wheeled out hung, drawn and quartered for every slip of the tongue my point in saying this to you is I would hate to think and going back to our early comment about analysis and punditry that you get to a point where people are now going to be like so careful about what they say that you're just going to have anodyne analysis completely. I mean, I go back to the sky thing. You might tell me there's a reason for doing it every time that there's a fuck or something from someone in a, in a crowd of 60,000 Sky feel obliged to apologise for something that you might have he- heard there like yeah. what is that about? I,
1: well I, I think we, we all take responsibility for our individual actions Exactly but the, yeah. but the need to apologise on a collective basis I think has probably gone beyond the beyonds and um, w- w- It still comes back to the same thing. Like, the world is evolving. We are now acutely more conscious. Let's let's stay with Sky for a second. Graham Soonis spoke on Sky about the homophobic culture that existed in Premier League soccer when he was playing. He then went to the Pride Parade in Brighton and he said he got his eyes opened and his generation sort of need to understand that that the world has changed. Does that make Graham Soonis a bad person? No does it do, does it suddenly mean that Graham Souness had a, a road to Damascus conversion? No absolutely not um, to, to your point are we going to be banal, or is it going to be vanilla, is it going to be you, you know because Ro- of Rosa, of that reason. Rosa Tralee, yeah. uh, I don't think so, I don't think the Tomas Shea's, not. the Donald Cusack's the Didi hammans the Eddie O'Sullivan's you know like Eddie and Jamie during the course of the World Cup, Didi and Liam during Champions League or uh, Ireland qualifiers, Donal and um, Brendan Cummins these lads are all more than capable of 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 articulating what they need to say, and none of them put a tooth in it. Mm. Uh, and I think everybody has to be grown up about it.
0: Yeah, let's move on. Mm. Um, I wanted to chat to you about the whole area of rights again in in previous cups of coffee and what chats or whatever I used to have with maybe with Glenn or, or Royal Nugent. I remember one of them, and I, obviously I'm paraphrasing because I don't want to misquote them. I remember them saying to me, Tony. You need to realize and we need to realize that the day of RTE owning everything and having the rights to everything is long gone. Yep. And I get that. And that isn't just a market phenomenon. That isn't the fact that you've virgin media. That's the fact that your own pockets are a lot shallower than they have been And D Forbes has articulated that. In terms of the... You you used the word earlier, I don't know, was it in context to this, or frustrating. Mm. Like, is that probably the most frustrating, Declan, part of your job, that you're watching Raj and these guys on Virgin Media last weekend, and you're kind of thinking, like, you know what, like... uh, we really should have the six nations that should be our... that must be a, a frustration
1: ah yeah there's an element of frustration at that but like you can't have everything in the sweetie shop and the world has changed as well and as you say our, our director general d forbes has articulated that rte and it's in the public domain need to ser- save 58 million over the course of the next 3 years we live I- in a in a in a new reality so um you know are there uh, it it's it's changed over time because if you go back to when um When I was growing up, you had uh, the Bill McLaren and the Jim Sherwins and the Six Nations, or the Mm. Five Nations as it was then, was was automatically on free-to-air television. And then (coughs) the the skies of the world came along uh, and they blew everybody out of the water. And then BT came along a couple of years ago and blew Sky out of the water. And Sky didn't have a kick of European football Mm. uh, in any competition for for a number of years. And now, what you're seeing is, if you take the German example for this year, what happened was Amazon came along, bought Tuesday night by putting tens of millions of money over and above the existing bid on the table for Tuesday nights, and DAZN, as a streaming company, came along and bought Wednesday night by blowing Sky out of the water. And you see what's happening with Amazon Prime, who dipped their or Amazon, who dipped their toe in the water with the, the fixtures Reich. in December, yeah. and then came back on on. So, so the world has changed. We're now no longer getting outbid by pay-per-view we're getting outbid by streaming channels and 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 that's the nature of this and and this argument won't go away which is what I've said before every association every Federation has their absolute right and um, be it the GAA or the Champions League worth millions or billions depending mm-hmm. on the market has the right to extract from their broadcast partners every last penny that they can and then what they do with it is up to themselves the flip side of that is that every association and every federation has an onus and a responsibility to remember that there is a difference between revenue and exposure mm. because you can have all the revenue you want and your game will die and there are specific examples around this in ter- particularly in terms of cricket mm. to a lesser extent in terms of formula 1 and what you saw with the the, the world cup uh, in cricket last year was that the world cup actually at uh, the final involving england actually Went ended free up on channel, channel four. four, yeah. So, so there's a, a there, we're back to that word balance again. Uh, you know, it's almost become obsessive in the modern day language. But I think in this case, there is a balance to be struck between free-to-air and, and revenue. And you see it playing out now in every single sport. Um, and it's happening across Champions League in soccer. It's happening across Six Nations. It, it's happening across the GAA, whereby there are multiple platforms there. But, but, but for me, not as a fan as much as a professional involved in the sports industry... Where does revenue stop and exposure start mm. and and I think again the best example, and people will say well you 're quoting scripture to suit yourself here, but the best example is the irish women 's hockey team mm. um, uh, because They were essentially playing the World Cup and it was being broadcast on BT. And they were doing really well and then we sub-licensed them when they got to a knockout stage. Now, let me be absolutely clear about this. RTE didn't put the ball in the net. RTE didn't lift a hockey stick. RTE didn't save a penalty. But RTE took that and through the exposure that the hockey team got, they became national heroes. Mm -hmm. Not because of what RTE did, but because... RTE exposed what they were doing. So it became... Sure, a, no, I get it, that. It, it became a sensation. Then you come on to the Olympic hockey qualifiers, and on a Sunday night between half past six and nine o'clock, in a very, very fri- family-friendly environment, they go to a penalty shootout to qualify for the Olympics. Mm. And the, gir- the, the, the girls or ladies or women or whatever we want to call them um, became national heroes again. Mm. Take the Women's World Cup, and again, it's female sport, but because it's female sport, it's probably not quite as contaminated or as as, as um, uh, reliant on on the commercial element that's there at ple- present. In the participating countries, you mentioned earlier on that RTE covered, together with TG Cahar in partnership, covered the Women's World Cup. In France, those games were getting 11 million. In the UK, they were getting 11 and 12 million because they were on free-to-air television. So um, Lucy Bronze and Jill Scott and all these players, um, bet Mead... All became I national I get, sensations I get that because definition. of I that. Get, yeah, I
0: get all that. Is that the, but is that your pitch going forward? Like, that's your pitch going forward when you're competing with money. Yeah. But when you're competing with Virgin, which is also free to wear, like, what's your pitch then? Like, you're obviously not going to sit idly by with your hands in your pockets and accept the fact that going forward the Six Nations is going to be on Virgin. No, you, I'm, you, you
1: I'm, know. RTE will go into every rights negotiation on the basis of trying to acquire rights. And 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 obviously there is a, a, a sort of a hierarchy for want in terms of national moments, national events, etc., cetera, etc., cetera. and then you come further down d- down the down the line in terms of you kind of the Champions League, a global event, mm. but with actually very little direct Irish interest uh, involvement in, yeah. in terms of players. We're not in the days of the Dennis Irwins and the Roy Keynes mm. and the Roy, you know, but but but. It's a global tournament and everybody wants to see Messi and Ronaldo and Salah and Van Dijk. So RTE naturally will be in that space and we will bid for everything. But RTE has to be realistic in terms of what it can retain. And again, we're concentrating largely there in in this discussion around the three main sports horse racing hockey um, you know gymnastics the things that I've said before I, I've made the point repeatedly that RTE used to have in relative terms a £100 to spend on three sports now it has €80 Euro to spend on five sports right uh, that's a good and, point and, yeah, that's and, well put and, and that's the nature of the industry and and and, and sports will come and go. Hockey wasn't on the horizon a number of years ago. Gymnastics certainly wasn't on the horizon a number of years ago. But boxing was front and centre. Mm. Now boxing has gone off to to another. I, I, I've spoken at, at, a, at a number of engagements. And one of the things I say in relation to the RTE argument. And again, people can say, oh, you're quoting scripture to suit yourself. Or, of course, you're pursuing your own agenda. But I ask the question. Where were you when Houghton put the ball in the England net? Mm -hmm. Where were you when O'Gara dropped the goal? Where were you when Katie fell to her knees? Where were you when Ruby came round the elbow or when
0: Sonia crossed the line? These are the moments that people remember. I remember where I was. um, But are they. Yeah, those. You you are citing scripture there, Dick. I mean, where were we when Johnny Sexton dropped, kicked the goal? Virgin have that, you know, so. But it was still free to air. That's it. It
1: it was a national moment because it was free to air,
0: you know. So you're saying they're not as much of a. Of a thorn in your shoe, as the ones with the deep pockets. No,
1: but essentially, Tony, it's, it's not really about being a thorn in anybody's shoe. Of course, there is a competitive nature there, but the argument goes beyond that in terms of what does it impact on a nation. Let me give you an example: Shane Lowry, mm. okay, RTE Sports Personality of the Year last year, phenomenal success. You know what? What that did for Clara, what Tiger Roll does for Summer Hill, what. Kira McGeon does for Port-a-Ferry. You can't bottle that. You can't measure that. Mm. Okay, and I've said, I said, you know, in the we live in the technologically most advanced world that there's ever been. There's not a single device on this earth can measure what, what Kean Lynch and Declan Hannan and the boys in Limerick did for children in Limerick by winning the all Ireland because that's the exposure you get so everybody runs out in the, into the back garden and I guarantee you there were lads practising this week trying to poke a ball between their legs and catch it the way and Lynch did last yeah, weekend yeah, yeah, yeah. and that's the difference where you could create national heroes national heroes get created largely because of national moments that are enjoyed by a national audience Shane Lowry is a national hero He wasn't free-to-air on on Sky Sports, so you can have national heroes. But Clara was on on the 6-1 news. Shane Lowry's granny was on RTE, in the Examiner, in the Irish Times, in the Irish Independent. It's about creating the experience around that that means that we can have national moments, we can have national heroes. And the and the great, the more associations drift in the revenue direction towards streaming services and all that. Now in 10 years' time, I could sound like a complete dinosaur because we'll have 5G in Ireland and there'll be broadband and there'll be streaming services and everywhere, and you can pay your subscription and you can take what you want, and exactly. maybe half a million people will watch Dublin Kerry on a streaming service rather than half a million people watch Dublin Kerry three weeks ago oh, on RTE. Dick, I'd say you can guarantee that's what you'll be looking well, at. And So, so yeah. that's the evolution of, of, of the argument. And RTE has no divine right... To acquire things simply because they o- have always had them. The world has changed, mm. and that's the market that we have to involve with. But I wouldn't be doing my job, and RT wouldn't be doing its job if it didn't go in and ruthlessly fight for for every key sporting right that was there. Mm. But can we do them all? Absolutely not.
0: I mean, look, you like we're of. I was going to say we're of a similar vintage. I'd say I've probably got a few years, and you still like at this stage. But like the fundamentals don't change. Nope. you know the fundamentals should always be the same. But realistically like, we're, I mean, and I use this metaphorically, we're playing a different ball game now in terms of how we consume sport. Yes. Um, you know, live streaming of matches, we're involved in it ourselves. Yeah. I can see a situation where Crow Park will start subletting rights out to individual counties. Like, is it going to just become more and more of a dogfight for, and is your, I suppose percentage of the market going to become more and more fractured naturally by these type of things? Is that something that you're going to have to accept? Are we going to pine for the the, 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 the good old days of 2020 when you had these rights in five years' time and you're not
1: I, I'd I'd be lying to you if I said I knew the answer to that question. But yeah. but but I'll but I'll give you two different scenarios at, at different ends of the scale. If you put um, Barcelona versus Liverpool in in um, the Olympic Stadium in 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 Rome, or put it in Wembley, and there's ninety thousand there, you can't put one hundred ninety thousand into the stadium. So it's going to be broadcast somewhere. So the key is that that the, the, the mass global audience get to see something like that. Mm. The flip side of it is, and I have said this again, I think there comes a saturation point with regard to coverage. And I'd argue... Uh, people I'd agree will, with you, by people, the way. People will almost say that I'm arguing against stuff here. But I saw Charlotte Burns in an interview yesterday. He's going for the presidency, obviously, this weekend. And he was saying, we have to be conscious of the saturation nature of our games. Because if, if... I'm going to a match, uh, if I'm Joe Smith, and I'm going to a match in Parky Keeve next Sunday, and I'm going to take my 10-year-old son and I'm going to bring my 76-year-old father, okay? But that match is on TV. And I decide, actually, it's a terrible wet day in in February or January or whatever, I'm going to stay at home. I don't go, my 10-year-old son doesn't go, my um, 76-year-old father doesn't go, the the audience is now down three. (coughs) We've seen this, Jarlett was citing... Arma TV, whereby the attendances at the athletic grounds have dropped in some cases because Arma TV are streaming. So games. he's advocating what removing the right. Well, I, I, no, I think he's arguing. I, 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 far be it from me to articulate what Jarlett is, is advocating, but I think he's arguing that there has to be a wider view as to how we look at broadcasting in general. Here, I agree. You, you absolutely saw it in relation to RTE's club coverage. One of the things that that I <coughs> am most proud of since 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 I came into the job is that RTÉ as the national broadcaster has extended its GAA footprint from 4 months to 9 months with the national league which is doing very well for us and you see those 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 moments being the created again and then you've the club and you know. then we've the club mm. But we saw, and and you were uh, impacted on this as well, and so were TG Cahar, whereby RTE or TG Cahar go to a game, stream or broadcast a club game, mm. uh, the attendance drops, and in Kerry, um, Kerry then make a decision to say, actually, no, we don't want live broadcast coverage of this, because it's affecting our gate receipts. Now, if you drill into that, as I understand it, and you've covered this in the examiner, but the, the, the rationale behind Kerry was, we built a centre of excellence, we promised the clubs that they would not be levied in order to pay for the centre of excellence. If our gate drops by uh, 4,000 people at a €10, a 10 Euro goal, that's €40,000. We still have to find that €40,000 in a different forum right. Um RTE and TG Catter are not going to pay 40000 for one game in relation to that rights fee, so we now have to go back and possibly levy the clubs. Mm. So why would we let broadcast coverage in? the flip side of that argument go back to what I said earlier on is should one county see David Clifford play in that county final or should 32 counties and yes. a global audience or should, should 10,000
0: see him play or should a million or 900,000 or whatever
1: and, and, and if, you, if you if you want to go back to our club coverage this year the highest audience that we got was for the Kerry doubleheader featuring David Clifford because David Clifford is the modern day
0: puts bums on seats
1: he's the modern day Mikey Sheehy who was Stevie McDonald, who was Stephen O'Neill, who was Gooch Cooper, who is Conor McManus, yeah. who is now, and and arguably he's he, like he's he's such a wonderful talent that you everybody wants to see him. But, so yeah. I understand the Kerry argument. Yeah. I a, understand the broader argument, and then you take it through to a rights argument, and, and somebody goes, "Well, what are we doing here, lads? Are we streaming it? Are we deferring the coverage? Yeah. Are we looking?" There's there's a there's a, an issue at play for for all the broadcasters at the moment whereby live sport is where it's at. Deferred highlights is not where it's at. Mm. Deferred games as a whole is not where it's at. Because people now know, by the nature of phones and radios and everything else, they know the result. Yeah. It's not the same experience if you're sitting down to watch a match already knowing the result.
0: Yeah, There is the issue as well, of course, Declan, in terms of talking about bums on seats, where if an association or a national organisation gets too greedy, we could be looking at a scenario down the, down the track where... Everybody actually has it at home in the comfort of their own thing, and there's hundreds in the ground instead of thousands. If you were to take that to its nth degree, and especially in a country like ours where inclement weather is such a factor, like let's face it, we don't live in Los Angeles or Miami here, you are in a situation where people are actually going to say, you know what, I'll just watch this on the laptop.
1: Uh, and that goes back to the point that I made earlier on. I absolutely... I, I don't think we're a million miles away from that sort of scenario. Whereby, So, I, uh, like, it's strange for somebody who is involved in TV rights and uh, radio rights and uh, to say that we have to be wary of the saturation factor. Mm. I think we do have to be wary of the saturation factor. Mm. Uh, and I think there's a, probably a balance to be struck. And I think you see it... I think a good example of it is, is um, the, the championship in England in soccer, Mm. whereby there are games on Sky that are simply wallpaper in the background, and then when you get to playoffs at the end of the year where you have Leeds or Aston Villa or whoever, then they get a massive audience because the Premier League has actually finished, Mm. and you're now into the scenario of of Wembley and stuff like that. But these are grounds that still field um, 20, 30, 40,000, but then you look at them some Monday nights or Tuesday nights or or Carabao Cup matches and stuff like that, and the, the grounds are empty. Yeah, uh, like I looked at uh, the Etihad the other night Man City were playing West Ham last week there was nobody at the well when I say there was nobody at yeah, the there game was a lot of empty there was seats. thousands at the game as opposed to tens of thousands at the game yeah. this is Man City Like this is a global entity and they can't fill their stadium because the game against West Ham is, is, is on the TV just
0: finally on the rights question I mean obviously no, every, like everybody knows out there because you've said it yourselves that RT is cash strapped it's under financial yeah. pressure does that leave you with one hand tied behind your back in terms of bidding for stuff because people know you have a weak hand perhaps financially or certainly a weaker hand than you would have But
1: but I also think there's a realisation among the federations like the federations watch this kind of stuff very very closely and they know whether they're working in a buoyant market or a depressed market Yeah. and you know you look at the coronavirus this week and Wall Street's going to take billions of hit and all that kind of stuff so there are factors completely outside of our control. It goes back to, to, to me, when you boil it all down, it comes back to the same argument. The federations and the associations extract the maximum that you can get, provided you're not sacrificing the global exposure or the national exposure of your game yeah. in, in favour of revenue because there are now concrete examples whereby that has not worked. and, and uh, Arguably, they need to be aware of that. The RT financial situation is well known. That's that we can't hide away from that. Mm. Does it does it mean that we're going in with one hand strapped behind our back? No, it means that we're going in with not the financial clout that we once had. But but we would argue that in terms of television, radio, online, social media, there is so much that we can bring to the table and. Part of our job, in terms of the visibility, whether it's Irish hockey or David Clifford, is to help create the heroes of tomorrow. For my father, it was Pele. For me, it was Maradona. Mm. For my children, it's Messi and Ronaldo. Uh, and again, for I've, I've told the story before about coming out of the Kerry Monaghan Super 8 game in Clonus um, whereby Monaghan were uh, leading by 3 in injury time and I made a schoolboy error of tapping my two boys on the shoulder and saying have a look at that scoreboard this doesn't happen too often I'm old enough to remember 79 etc etc and Big ball goes in, Starr knocks it down. David Clifford, there's seven men. If you look at the, t- the photo in the brilliant photo that was taken in the Irish Times, there were seven men between David Clifford and the corner of the net. And such was his genius that he managed to get the ball in the back of the net and we draw. And Monaghan came out that day and they were utterly deflated. And I was standing, Marty Morrissey was doing the Marty squad and Jack O'Shea and Nudie Hughes were standing there. Absolute icons in, 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 yeah. in my ear. And I said to James, see that man over there? That's Jack O'Shea. That's one of the greatest legends of the game. He scored a goal in 1981. I'll show you on YouTube tonight. And, and, he, and he's amazing. And he was one of the greatest players of all time. And he's from Kerry. And without missing a beat, my then 10-year-old, now 12-year-old, said to me, but what about the Gooch? And I said, yeah, the Gooch is a brilliant player, but he's a different type of player. And, and the realisation for me there was Jack O'Shea was my hero. But Jack O'Shea meant nothing to my ten-year-old. But Gooch meant something to my ten-year-old. And there's ten-year-olds out there today who want to be Keane Lynch, or they want to be Messi, or they want to be Ronaldo, or they want to be David Clifford. Part of our role as a national broadcaster is to create heroes for the next generation. And that comes through visibility. And that can be Chloe Watkins, or it can be Kelly Harrington, or it can be Katie Smith, or it can be Ellen Keane. It can be every much a female sporting hero as it can be a male sporting hero. Katie Taylor, go back to the boxing scenario and again it's rights. Katie Taylor's, I would argue, but again, you know, with, with bias, Katie Taylor's defining moment is when she drops to her knees in London and Jimmy's on commentary and it's, it's there and it's amazing. Katie Taylor has gone on to do amazing, stunning things in, in the world of boxing. In America, behind pay-per-view, behind pay-per-fight. You know, you look at Tyson Fury and Wilder the other night. Again, it's all... Does that have the national moment? To my mind, maybe not as much. Mm. Does it make millions for the individuals? Yes. Good luck to them. Does it make millions for the for the for the guys around them? Yeah, good luck to them. Where's the balance?
0: Last question. Um you're not necessarily your in trade, but your to do list for twenty twenty. Well, I know like you're not gonna obviously <laughs> give away you're not gonna give away your, your negotiating yeah. positions, but in terms of okay, what do we need? Do we need better commentators? How are we on analysts? And um, Where are we on rights? We don't have the Six Nations, but we have the soccer. We have the GA pretty much locked away. Where else do we want to go? Like, yeah, okay, yeah. you're nodding your head and saying maybe not, but I would perceive that you have the GA pretty much locked away at the minute. Um,
1: I'm not sure Crow Park would say, but, I, but I, no, I, yeah, take, okay. I take your point. I'm, I'm
0: saying this is a joke. Like, what is your to-do list, Declan, for 2020 and 2021? What are you looking at?
1: Okay, so in, in terms of the output, we have... Subject to the coronavirus, please God, we have the Euros, mm. we have the Olympics, we have the GAA Championship, we have the European Cross Country. And again, that's another example of a whole new generation and a generation of new Irish who are going to win medals, won them at the, at the, at the European Cross Country uh, just after, <coughs> before Christmas or just after Christmas, will win, hopefully, please God, coming. Rees in, in uh, Kelly Harrington at the Olympics, mm. all these. So... Our job in 2020, collectively as RTE, is the best output through the Euros, through the Olympics, through the Championship, through every other sport. Reese, Kelly, all the Olympic sports that are there that don't get the same level of prominence. The O'Donovan brothers, you know, who became Mm. global superstars and certainly national heroes as a result of that. In the broader context, I've said before, I'll say again, RTE is in a very good place for the next two years in terms of rates. Because we have the key summer tournaments up to and including the World Cup for 2022. And we learned valuable lessons and positive lessons with regard to the Women's World Cup last year. So in terms of rights for the next two years, we're in a very good place. A lot of the rights are due to come to the market over the course of the next 12 to 18 months okay. at a time when RTE, as we have acknowledged uh, publicly and during the course of this discussion, are in a, in a vulnerable place in terms of financially. My job is to, to, to box clever, to fight hard, to try and get what we can get, and, and, and to keep reminding people and federations that what RTE brings to the table is still, thankfully, for all its faults, for all its critics and for all its mistakes, we bring a national audience and we do that and we'll continue to do that across news, television, radio, online, social media, whatever it is, that dimension that creates the next David Clifford from Jack O'Shea that creates the next Katie Taylor or Kelly Harrington Mm. or Chloe Watkins or whoever it happens to be. That's that's my job. That's my role. And I go back to the very first answer that I gave you. Yeah, I sense it'll be frustrating, but I sense it will be rewarding. I sense it will be extremely challenging. But I sit in a privileged position as the head of sport for the national broadcaster to be even involved in those negotiations. And all the rights holders will push extremely hard and they will say there are no guarantees and the world is changing. And I think the German example with regard to the Champions League is the classic example of that. Mm. Whereby the pay-per-view who had tens of millions to spend got blown out of the water by the Amazons and the Dizones. So if you get remotely complacent you're in serious, serious trouble.